his first season for Mercedes. George Russell, after winning the sprint yesterday, wins the Sao Paulo Grand Prix on a Sunday. George Russell is a Formula One Grand Prix winner, but he's not finished there. Now, in his second year at Mercedes, George is proving why he deserves the chance to fight for more race victories and championships in the near future. And that's not easy when your teammate is a seven-time world champion in the form of Lewis Hamilton. Every single weekend I go out, practice, quali, race, you are directly compared to the greatest driver of all time. I don't think I've ever been pushed in my whole career like I've been pushed in these last year and a half. So to see that I'm swimming and, and swimming well, I truly believe in myself, the team believe in me. And that's been really down to the fact that I've been teammates with Lewis and, and, and held my own. Hello and welcome to F1 Beyond the Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. George Russell's debut season with Mercedes in 2022 caught a few people by surprise. He became a Grand Prix winner for the first time, secured his first ever pole position, and he won a sprint race. Most impressively though, he finished above Lewis Hamilton in the driver's standings. Nevertheless, neither George nor the team are where they want to be. After seven years of complete dominance in both the Drivers' and Constructors' World Championships, Mercedes have struggled to adapt to the new regulations introduced last season. Their car isn't competitive enough to challenge for titles at the moment. But Russell believes in the team's potential and sees no reason why it can't fight at the front again soon. And despite their difficulties on track, George seems to be in a really good place mentally. He tells me how Fernando Alonso inspired him to adopt a different mindset and approach to Formula One. George also talks about how his new hobby of free diving helps to keep his racing senses razor sharp. We discuss his relationship with Mercedes team principal Toto Wolff, his friendships with the other drivers, what it's like being compared to Hamilton at every race, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy our conversation. George, great to have you back on the show. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Now, we're talking on the back of Singapore, where everything went so well until that last lap. How hard has it been to move on from the crash? It was definitely very tough on Sunday night, Monday morning. But I think in life, and especially in our industry, you need to pick yourself up. You need to look at the positives from every negative and difficult situation from every failure there's always a learning to be had and you need to move forward what mechanisms do you have in place to help you in moments like this i think experience is is a is a huge factor i always say to when i get asked from sort of younger kids like what advice would you give i'd say you know don't be afraid to fail because it's through my failures and difficult moments being a, a younger kid that have helped me deal with moments like this. You know, I've had success on my journey in, in racing, in, you know, winning F4, uh, GB3, which is obviously F3, F2. Um, but I've also had moments where I've made mistakes, where I've crashed, where I've felt like I've let people down. I had a phone call from Andrew Shovlin, who's our chief engineer, Sunday night, and he said to me, George, the only reason 
we had a chance of victory this weekend was because of the amazing job you did in qualifying, the amazing pace you you showed in the race and, and you gave us what that feeling was to fight for victory again. And you need to take that uh, for what it is. There was a very small mistake. Forget about it. Move on. And that was really refreshing to hear that from from Shov um, directly after the race. We gave it all to win that race. I was disappointed we missed out on the opportunity. What happened afterwards, it's happened. It's history. We move on now. We will move on. Just one last one. In that, I guess you've been through that moment in your head. Do you know what happened? What Was it just a tiny momentary loss of concentration? I mean, Lando hit the wall just in front of you on that same lap as well. Was that a distraction? Yeah, I mean, I've been through it a number of times trying to understand this was the third or fourth street circuit of the year. I don't recall one single lap in Monaco touching the wall. I don't recall a single lap in Baku touching the wall. I did every single lap in Singapore millimetres from the wall. If you watch my qualifying lap, you'll see millimetres from the wall, but not once brushing the wall. And I saw Lando hit the wall. And it's incredible how quick the mind reacts because I saw him hit the wall and I went kind of like, oh my God, he's hit the wall. And then I hit the wall. Whether that was a distraction you're, you're kind of following the car in front of you. You know, you're so close as a racing driver. You're looking forward. You're not looking left or right at the wall. You're looking forward. And when you've got a car 10 meters in front of you, you're looking at the back of that car. But again, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I hit the wall because because of Lando. But for sure, I was, you know, I was following where, where he was going and just obviously clobbered it a lot more than, than he did. You know, when I look at the performance of, of this year, you know, I come away with a, with confidence. You know, I'm not I'm not going to let a two or three centimeter mistake on one lap cloud what was an amazing weekend. And you know, since returning from the summer break, pace has been really, really strong. You know, I'm sort of giving it everything to win a race this season, and that was a chance. I hope there'll be another one. You mentioned the summer break, as you say. Since then, the pace has been really, really strong. What changed? I think a small mentality change from my side, how I'm working with my engineers, the things I'm focusing on with the setup of the car, the things I'm not focusing on with the setup of the car and, and just probably enjoying life a bit more. I listened to a podcast from Fernando where he said that if he could change one thing in his career, he wished he, in, he enjoyed the moment more often when he was younger. And I think that sort of resonated with me because... You know, I'm living my dream here, but I'm so dedicated. I feel like I'm a, a true professional. I, I look at every single detail. I, I give it my everything. And sometimes you forget to enjoy it and to enjoy the moment with the, the people around you. Enjoy the places you're going to. Smile, not just constantly be this 120% serious guy focusing on every single detail. And it doesn't mean that I'm any less professional now, but it's just that I'm probably enjoying my life more, my surroundings, the people who I have at home, my living situation. I'm just in a much happier place. I'm learning new things that I've never would have dreamt of doing before. So yeah, just all in all in a, in a good place. Fernando in that podcast was talking about his championship wins in Brazil, wasn't it? And how he wished he'd celebrated more and he couldn't even remember uh, what had happened those nights. So let's ask you about Brazil last year. How yeah. did you celebrate? <laughs> what, what 
well, it's, your memories. Re- reminiscing back to that, it's it's very similar in a, in a way because we had to to fly off to Abu Dhabi, and you know that was already booked in advance, and it was straight to the airport. And you know, of course, I would have loved to have spent the the whole night there in Brazil with all of my team and and celebrate until you know the the sun has has rose in the morning, but practicality of it was was just not not possible but yeah we won't make that that same mistake twice now you say you're learning new things and i wanted to ask you about the summer break a lot of water sports and you turned up in zanvoort with a little scar on your <laughs> wrist i was talking with toto before the break and i said you know i want to try this and try that and toto's one who does a lot of activities but i think he always like when it comes to he sort of lets Lewis get away with it. But when it comes to me, he's like, no, you've got to be careful of this. And, you know, if you jump on that foil board, you know, really good chance of hurting yourself. If you go skiing, you know, is you know, really, really good chance of hurting yourself. And, he, and he's totally right. But I just sort of had a bit of a mentality that I can't wrap myself up in, in bubble wrap. I know my boundaries. I know my limits. I get my exhilaration from the racetrack. So any additional sport I would do, I would do it to my level, but I'm not going to push the boundaries of whatever it is and risk an injury. But yeah, long story short, I was learning to to foil board in uh, in Spain. And so that's the, the sort of surfboard with the, the foil beneath and it sort of floats on the surface. And yeah, on my first day, I, I did fall off and the foil caught my wrist and sliced my wrist open a bit. So yeah, a f- few bruises and then... <laughs> Did you uh, win Toto? No, I didn't. I didn't let him know. But he, he just sent me a photo that he broke one of his bones on holiday. So um, <laughs> I kept him posted. It's interesting that Toto wants to advise and nurture you like that. Do, do you think your relationship with him is different to Lewis's? Is he almost? Is it almost paternal towards you? I'm not too sure, to be honest. I think obviously when Lewis and Toto were acquainted. Lewis was already, you know, world champion. He was already this this megastar. There was perhaps really more respect Toto to Lewis when he joined because of, you know, Toto was was completely new to Formula One at that time. You know, Toto was the rookie and, and Lewis was the the household massive name. Whereas with myself, obviously, you know, Toto signed me as a sixteen year old. They've always, you know, I guess nurtured me along my way, advised me help me reach uh, you know my full potential and I guess yeah to a degree you you could be right but I think our relationship now has gone more from I'm not, I'm not going to say paternal figure but I'd, I'd class ourselves as as more friends now and also with with Susie and and Carmen my my girlfriend we've got a, a really great relationship we spend a lot of time together uh, doing activities together dinner together uh, we see them all the time so you know he's he's my boss, but he's also also a friend. Do you see them all the time in Monaco? Yeah, all the time, all the time now. So um, we live probably two hundred meters away from each other. We go to the gym together, coffee together daily. Um, we're sounds learning. Quite, sounds quite intense. Uh, no, because we don't really talk about racing. To be honest, we're learning to free dive together at the moment we actually went with with lewis as well on our on our first experience into the water you know i'm i'm a kid from the countryside in in the uk the water or water sports or activities were were never a thing where i was from and suddenly 
this life has exposed me to so much, which I'm so grateful for. And, you know, learning to, to free dive is, I didn't even know what free diving was a couple of years ago. And it's such a, a beautiful life down there in the water. And it's probably the best disconnection I've, I've ever had from life and you're just solely focused on your breathing on the surroundings uh, on the sea life and, and it's really beautiful and, I, and I, I just really really enjoy it so only two years ago I would have never have even expected to, to be doing things like this have you watched the deepest breath yes on <laughs> this is weird because I literally saw it two nights ago wow, okay and did, little did I know that I was prepping to speak yeah. to you I mean they are extraordinary people I absolutely mean, no going i down think to what 100 meters how, how deep can you go mine's nothing to brag about at the moment <laughs> so i'm i'm learning more to not to go too deep but once i'm down there to look around and spend more time under the water rather than continuously pursuing a deeper depth toto on the other hand is <laughs> can, he go, can he go deep he, he can go he can go i'm not gonna i'm not gonna reveal his his numbers but come on people toto, listening want stats right how, no, how to, long can you hold your breath yeah i mean it's not not fantastic so so far with little practice I, I think it's just over two minutes so i'm hoping since i've learned a few new techniques that i can extend that a lot but I also, what's the technique I, i'm quite i'm fascinated well, I'm not too sure, to be honest. Um, the, the, the chap who's who's helping us, our instructor, who is actually a, a world record holder, I think his dive was 123 meters 15 years ago, is just doing these uh, box breathing. So it's basically inhale for four, hold for four, out for four, hold for four. And over time, you know, I did this once for probably 15 or 20 minutes. And by the end, I could hold it for sort of, inhale for 10 seconds, hold it for 10, out for 10, hold for 10. And it got me thinking because in the race car, you're strapped in, you've got the belt around your waist, around your crotch, over your shoulders. You can't really breathe uh, because the belts are so tight. You can't take those deep breaths and our heart rate is running through the roof from from the heat inside the cockpit, the physicality of driving the car, the, the mental fatigue. And if you can find ways to reduce your heart rate, I'm sure there's... I mean, I definitely would have taken it in Singapore, I'll tell you that. Is that one of the beneficial side effects of free diving, is that the heart rate comes down? Yeah, I think so. it's... It has um, to be more efficient. The, the, the body uh, has to be yeah, more efficient. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not something that... Um, that wasn't the reason why I wanted to learn to do it, but I'm learning by doing these additional activities. You know, you, you keep your senses alive. They always say, like a Formula One car, the best sensor is, is the driver. And I can feel a car because of the senses through my arms, through my bottom, through my back, through my legs. You feel the G-force, you feel the tires moving. And that is surely going to degrade at some point, those senses. You know, you're not going to be razor sharp until the day you die. And I'm sure by doing these other activities, whether it's surfing, whether it's diving, whether it's, I did this um, hover pack um, was that in the summer break as well? In the summer break as well, where I've you see all these crazy people on Instagram do it. That I'm sure there's something there, but it definitely keeps your your senses active. George, let's talk about year two now at Mercedes and how different it feels compared to last year. I mean, feet 
properly under the table now. Is it a noticeable difference for you? I've always felt part of the family at Mercedes. There was never a doubt of our future together. This was always the plan to be a part of Mercedes. I think year one, it was obviously a very strange year within the team, especially for the first six months, because we found ourselves in, in a position that they hadn't been used to for eight years, struggling to understand the car, lots of limitation, being knocked out in Q2s. And, and it was a real challenge on, on many regards. Whereas now things are clearer, the foundations are, are fully set in stone and I'm really, really enjoying working with everybody. There is truly a light at the end of a tunnel and that's what gives us all motivation. Tell us about that light. How bright is it? How, how much confidence do you have that the 24 car is going to be better? Is that what you mean by the light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and overpromise anything. I think what's important is to focus on yourself and maximize the potential. And I can confidently say we're in a much, much stronger place than we were this time last year at the direction we're taking for the following year's car. So I have 120% confidence in every single team member, a part of this team. They're truly extraordinary people, incredible engineers, designers, ev everybody within the whole organization. They're so motivated for that success. And we have a clear direction to take. So that gives me confidence, but you can never underestimate your competitors. And we have no idea of the gains that... Red Bull, Ferrari, McLaren, Aston Martin. We've seen some huge leaps. You know, maybe next year Williams are, are going to be up there. You know, they're performing really well. All you can do is focus on yourself. I mean, take Singapore out of it. The percentage gain that you need to, to make over the winter to beat Red Bull, I don't know what the number is, but it's going to be high. It's going to be an absolutely. extraordinary jump for, for everybody, not just... Yeah, absolutely. Myself. We need to make huge gains. You know, we've been a bit back and forth with our development. We took one step forward, two steps back with a number of updates we brought, especially last year. We had to take a lot of performance off the car because we were struggling with the bouncing. And we're definitely getting our hands uh, wrapped around this limitation much better. You know, we made a mistake over last winter. We took too much performance off the car and the regulations naturally improved our problems a little bit. So, yeah, this is a, a really interesting sport and if you've only got to rewind 2020 Mercedes built probably one of the most competitive cars of all time when in 2021 Max won the championship and uh, or at least there was a battle between Max and Lewis for the championship. So, you can argue that the 2020 car of Mercedes in terms of maybe not the dominance but in terms of uh, competitiveness or pace delta for some of the races is, is not too dissimilar to, to Red Bull. Do you fully understand this 2023 car now? Because the messaging from the team has been all year, we're not even going to think about 24 until we fully understand what the issues are with the current car. There's definitely a huge amount of learning we've done this year. You know, I'm not going to talk on behalf of the 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 truly intelligent people of, of this organisation, but... There's always more you want to unlock in terms of your understanding. If you 100% understood everything, you bet your mortgage that you'd be winning the championship, but nobody 100% truly understands everything. And if, if they did, you wouldn't have seen Red Bull one second off the pace in, in Singapore. There's always something somewhere that catches somebody off guard. What are the strengths, what are the weaknesses of the 23 car? 
I think you can argue strongly that you had the fastest race car in Singapore, for example. Yeah, without a doubt, I'd say in Singapore, um, we always know that Ferrari have have good qualifying pace. Our race pace is always is always a strength. We're lacking a bit of overall downforce, especially in the high speed corners. That's a weakness of of ours, and we we know where we went wrong with the development and why we ended up in this this position. I think we're we're consistent. Every race we go to. We don't have massive fluctuations. We have one or two races where we're we're a bit on the back foot. But I think as a race team, they do an exceptional job with the work we do here, with everybody back at the factory, the the simulations that they provide to maximize the potential of the car, I think is is something that we we shouldn't forget. And we've definitely been improving the balance. We're in a very difficult place last year with the rear of the car moving around a lot. That's been improved one step. We still have a way to go to where we want to get, but we see so much opportunity. We're not going to sit here and say we're so happy with the car we've got today, but the fact we're still second in the championship ahead of a number of rivals with a car that we believe is so far from its potential gives us optimism and motivation that if we tick these boxes and do a number of things right, there's no reason why we can't be fighting right at the very top. Singapore was always going to be an outlier. It's one of those slightly different tracks, the bumpiness, whatever the reasons are. Is there another track this year that you've got in your mind where you think it might be an opportunity? Yeah, Singapore was competitive, no doubt. It was competitive for us last year. I think we're heading to Mexico where we'll be in a good place. Brazil, again, will be in a good place. Um, and then when, when you come to the sprint races, you just have no idea because you've got one session to dial the car in. We have three sprint races between now and the end of the season. So a huge amount of opportunity. What about your work ethic, George? I know you said a little bit earlier that you want to enjoy it more, Alonso-esque, but the team talks openly about how hard you work. They talk of you crisscrossing the Atlantic during the flyaway races last year just to get back on the simulator. Where does that come from? I think it's been ingrained into me since a young kid, probably from my father, that you only get out of life what you put into it. We were in a in a privileged position uh, because we were able to to go go-karting. My, my family were able to support me and my, my siblings um, in life. We... We never struggled, but we were nowhere near well off enough to get anywhere close to Formula One with the the financial backing that we had. And my family knew that, so it was it was very much ingrained into me that we want to get to Formula One. If you're going to be able to achieve that, you need to go above and beyond everybody you're competing against, especially the ones who have either got the backing within the family, who have potentially got uh, sponsorship support, because that's the only way you're going to get the opportunity to prove yourself in Formula 4, Formula 3, Formula 2. And that's what we did, and that, and that stuck with me ever since. At what age did you know you wanted to get to Formula 1? At, at what age did it stop being just fun and actually it became a career, in your mind at least? I think in my mind, it was probably at 11 years old when it was like, this is serious and this is, you know, this is my life, this is my passion. But still, I think at 11 years old, you don't truly comprehend... Formula One, you know, you're you're living in the moment. You're you know you're too young and naive to to comp. You, you have dreams, and you know I want to do this and I want to do that. But I wanted to be a racing driver and I wanted to win. 
and you obviously you put two and two together that's formula one the pinnacle of the sport but it was maybe when i was 15 years old when i was old enough and mature enough to comprehend the challenges of getting to formula one to comprehend that i've put already eight years of my life my family's life into this that that's where i want to be and as i said at the age of 11 you don't really comprehend that your your family are driving you up and down the country investing their time and their money and their their effort into you you're just having a, a whale of a time really and had you not met toto wolf had you not presented him with the powerpoint would you be here today no i don't think i would um to be honest because i wouldn't have got the opportunity to prove myself at the the highest level of of junior motorsport you know i had a, a great track record in in go-karting i won everything that i competed in but the times were slightly different then to be honest no drivers who are backed by formula one teams then there may have been two nick de Vries was the the biggest carted name who was backed by mclaren and then there was alex who was backed by red bull but he was he was more backed by red bull thailand the sort of drinks company side of things as opposed to red bull motorsport but there was myself charles had no f1 backing but he was backed by nicholas todd max had no f1 backing but he of course had his father's help and uh, guidance Esteban Ocon, he was backed by Gravity. He also had a small affiliation with, with Lotus Formula 1 team at the time, but it wasn't really a thing in the go-karting days. It was, you got picked up by an F1 team, Formula 4, Formula 3 levels. So had I not been picked up by Toto in the end of my Formula 4 season, I wouldn't have got the chance to prove myself in Formula 3 and Formula 2. It's so mad, isn't it? All those names you've just listed, you were racing... At the age of 11. Yeah. And now here, here you are racing them in Formula One. It's, yeah, it's crazy. It's the pack. The pack has come through, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really has. You know, I remember um, all these days of us, you know, running around the, the casting paddock. We'd stay in the same hotels and just, you know, playing video games together. I remember there's this like photo of, of um, Charles, Alex, myself and, a, and another driver called Harrison Scott playing uh, a racing game on our iPhones. And, and that's what we used to do between the sessions and you'd be kicking a football around and we were just kids loving racing, living a dream. And, and here we are, it's pretty, pretty surreal to think. How difficult is it for your parents to hand you over, if you like, to the likes of Mercedes? Because you've already touched on the, the investment, both time as much as anything that they've put into you. And then Mercedes and Toto pick you up, Gwen Legrue, Gwen, well, Gwen was an essential part of all of this. But how difficult was it for mum and dad just to say, all right, here you are, go for it. Good luck, son. Yeah, it was, um, you know, my my parents have always been so passionate for racing um, to giving me that opportunity. Especially my early, my first year of, of cars is when we, we had some sponsors, but still my my, my family were, were backing me. And that was... That was sort of our last opportunity to um, to progress any further because we knew we ultimately had no no more money to to go beyond Formula Three, and that was you know a very tense year because that was the year when I could also 
comprehend that this was almost like a last opportunity. If I don't win this year, how am I going to get the back into race in Formula 3 and my family can't support that? And I wouldn't want them to you know, sell the house to give me that opportunity. But because it was Mercedes, um, because we knew Gwen and what a great person, a great manager Gwen is, and of course, with Toto's influence, I think that put their their mind at, at ease that, you know, I am in very good hands and you almost need to let me fly almost and uh, rather than, than holding on to my wings. And, you know, I'm so grateful they did that and they still, you know, they support me every single day. My journey, they watch every single session. They watch the races on Sky Sports and then they'll watch the replay on Channel 4 and uh, my dad's got the onboard on his iPad of a timing screen on a, on his laptop and the TV in the background. And, you know, he'll be on FaceTime with my brother at the same time discussing the race. He's watching it at home with, with his three kids and his wife and my sister at home with her husband and her dog. Um, you know, this is, this is the family business. It it, it really is. You know, we're, we're all, um, they all gave me the opportunity. My, my sister and my brother, never once questioned the support my parents gave me um and you know i wouldn't be wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that george tell us about the relationship between the drivers because it seems to me that there's less tension among the group than there was 25 years ago i mean is it difficult to be friends with people where the rivalry is so intense? I think, I mean, I obviously can't talk for how it was um, in the past. And obviously the media always like to hype up any sort of rivalry and and competition. Uh, But there's definitely a clear distinction between when the helmet's on, you know, we're all competitors, we're all animals going after that success when the helmet's off there's definitely a mutual respect between all of us now that the calendar is so busy so intense so many races so much time away from home you have it's almost like a small community here and we can sort of relate with one another uh with regards to certain things whether it's the you know on-track commitments or the off-track activities we're doing with the team um, you know, there's been a couple of sports that we've been playing together most recently, paddle, which has been very fun uh, for us to get into. And, you know, Lando and I played a couple of times in in Singapore. We played a few times back home with, with Alex and Max. So there's you've got this sort of camaraderie there. But for both of us, once the helmet's on, you know, it's um, that's kind of out of the window and, and we're... We're looking ahead. Does the camaraderie stem back to those karting days that you were talking about? You know each other so well yeah. that you can take the rough with the smooth. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think we've all been through a lot together. You know, we've raced each other for many, many years with Alex Lando and I were competing together in, in Formula 2. Then in go-karting, I was teammates with Charles and Alex in, in the same year, 2011. Uh, spent a lot of evenings together, dinners together testing racing together so you've always got that sort of bond that will always be there the same way as a friend from school is always going to be a friend from school and you know the likes of Alex and Charles Max Esteban to a degree Lance they'll always be the guys that we raced against each other when we were younger Nick 
and uh, Nick DeFries in the category above, there'll always be those people. I love how quickly you can move on after an incident. And my mind springs back to Baku. Yeah. Okay, you know where I'm going with this, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Max Verstappen, I can't remember the exact I word. think it began with a D. A D and yeah. ended in a and it ended <laughs> and in a D as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you guys seem to park that and move on. Yeah, you know, it's racing. We're all in the heat of the moment. It's it's a physical sport, even though it's um sometimes not perceived that way. The 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 cognitive stress you're under, the your own personal pressures and pressures from the from the outside. We all want to do the best job possible and we all respect that. So none of us are purposefully going out there to crash or purposefully take somebody else off. Do you know the guys like Max? I mean, obviously Lando and, and Charles and Alex, but do you require an apology or is it just no. unwritten? It's just banter and you move on. Oh, no, not at all. There's, no, there's never an apology needed, I think. Um... I'm trying to think of an occasion where we've collided on track together, but I don't think there's there's ever really been one, but it doesn't matter what's been said. I think in those moments within an hour after the race or during the race, if you've come together and you're on the sidelines together, it doesn't matter what's said. It's, it's sort of water under the bridge and you move on and, you know, you might not be best pals for the next couple of races, but, you know, we're all mature enough to, to recognize it. What about racing. a couple of years ago then? I'm thinking Imola, you and Valtteri. I mean, I did I did give him a, a phone call of which he didn't answer. Um, <laughs> did you leave him a message? Uh, I did. I wanted to have a message was just like, give me a call when you have a moment. But we've never spoken about that, that crash ever. We've never spoken about when I joined Mercedes. We've never spoken about any of that. Is that because you never speak? Um, no, because by the end of that year, we would bump into each other we'd have a chat we'd have a normal chat you know we often speak on the driver's parade and there was not one single ounce of awkwardness at all and um, as I said it's just part of the business part of a job and it's never personal now in Austin you're going to be celebrating your 100th Grand Prix I mean it seems crazy that you've already done as many races as Jackie Stewart did in his entire career Jesus it's a lot (laughs) Yeah, and I feel you're only just getting started. Definitely, I really feel like I'm only just getting started. Um, there's obviously a lot of races uh, per season, so they they rack up quick. And yeah, I don't feel like I've even even begun yet. I think I'm I'm performing at a, a really high level. I'm, I'm really happy with with my own personal performance, but I recognise that you need to sustain this performance and be ready for when the car gives you that opportunity. And I think. Max and Lewis are a perfect example. You know, Max isn't suddenly one second faster a driver than he was in 2020, and Lewis isn't suddenly one second a lap slower than he was in 2020. But the situations that have, have rose have, have given them each, each their opportunity, and I've got no doubt my time, my chance will come. And I hate, I hate that saying that you know, I'm going to be patient and, and wait, but that's that's unfortunately the nature of formula one and um, i'm not the only driver in in this situation right now what's the biggest thing you've learned in these 100 races is it patience because i think when you were in the junior formulas and i was watching the races you struck me as a really Im- not impatient but just wanting to get on with it yeah absolutely i and then i want things you make it to formula one and yeah i, I want to I want things yesterday. I want to have achieved things, you know, today, and I, I just want to accomplish so much, whether that's professionally or personally. And 
you know, um, the people who work with me um, on a personal level will, will know that I'm I'm quite, I wouldn't say demanding, but, you know, it's like I've got an idea, I want to achieve this and I want to, to accomplish that and I don't see any reason why we can't do that in the coming two, three, four weeks. And, um, and I know when I put my mind to something, I can achieve it. But since coming to Formula One, probably what I've learned in these 100 races is just try and maxi- maximize every single opportunity, but you can't do the impossible. You can't, you know, when I was at Williams, you can't win a race in a Williams. So, you know, you've got to accept that if P10 is the maximum or P12 is the maximum, don't go out, you know, crashing an Imola under the safety car trying to achieve points when points just were not viable. Or, um, you know, even Singapore at the weekend is is an example. You know, that, that win, we had a chance, but we missed the opportunity. And you've sometimes got to accept on a given day, in a given scenario, that's the maximum. And sometimes if you try for more, you're only going to come off with less. So uh, it's a it's a tricky sport. And probably the, the Sakir Grand Prix for me in 2020 was the, the best example of that. Oh, crikey. <laughs> long time that's ago. That's a long time ago. Well, I tell you what, I wanted to celebrate your 100 races. And <laughs> okay. Thank you. best qualifying session so far. Yep. What do you reckon? I mean, does it have to be Hungary last year, the pole? No, I think um, I've had some yeah really satisfying ones. But I would say for the pure joy it gave me afterwards, the, the P2 with Williams in Spa was, I, I don't think that can be rivaled for a long time. That was That was just so huge for the position we were. You know, we were the slowest car on the grid. Uh, for the previous two and a half, three seasons. That season, we were equal ninth quickest, I would say, and that qualifying will will always stay with me to the day I die. But yeah, the the pole in with Mercedes comes close. Okay. Uh, Now, best race, does that have to be Brazil 22? Or what about Sakir 20? I mean, it didn't get the result you wanted then, but it was a great race until until the pit stop. um, (laughs) I think... Yeah, I think it does have to be Brazil because it felt earned. I think Sakir, it all it all happened so quick, so suddenly. It was almost like too good to be true. And almost if I won that race, I feel like it would have just been too good and, and too... And I know I should have won the race. You know, we had a puncher. And if it wasn't for the puncher, we would have won the race. Uh, you know, there's 20 laps to go, cruising to, to victory. But I think... I maybe wouldn't have appreciated future victories or the victory in Brazil as much as I did or as much as it deserves because Brazil, it truly felt earned um, for all the hard work everybody put in, the hard work I had put in, the pressure that I was under from Lewis for the last 15 laps of the race. I think he is the greatest driver of all time and you know every single weekend I go out, practice, quality, race, you are directly compared to the greatest driver of all time and having that sort of fair fight was extraordinarily rewarding for me and uh, and why it is an incredibly satisfying position for me to be in and such a privileged position to be in because you know, not many drivers get that chance. You haven't made it easy for yourself going up against Lewis, that's for sure. I'm interested how you guys are wired because Lando Norris has come out recently saying, I want to go up against Max Verstappen. I'm fascinated that you guys are keen to be measured 
against the best. We all believe in, in ourselves. We all believe we are the best and we all believe that when, when we get the car, we will win championships. And I can very, very confidently sit here and say there's probably five drivers on this grid that you put them in the best car, they will win the championship. You know, I'm, I have no doubt about that. So for me, you know, of course, Lewis is, is one of those guys. If I'm going head to head with him week in, week out, you know, that gives me the benchmark. And also, I don't think I've ever been pushed in my whole career like I've been pushed in these last year and a half. So to see that, you know, I'm I'm swimming and, and swimming well gives me so much faith in myself, so much confidence that I, I always had. But there's sort of no doubt now. I truly believe in myself. The team believe in me. And that's been really down to the fact that I've been teammates with Lewis and, and, and held my own that I can just focus on my job and, and go out there week in, week out and just try and maximise the, the performance. Look, last thing about the 100 races, best overtake. Now, I've been scrolling <laughs> through the archives and I thought you on Charles Leclerc this year at Silverstone was pretty decent. Very decent, actually. Sorry. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was on, a good one. Give me a better um, one. Well, there was, there's, no, there's, there's always... There's definitely one that, that stands out. Uh but there was there was more to it than that and that was that was definitely the twenty twenty overtake in uh Sakir on, on Valtteri because of how much that meant given the circumstance, the the fact that I was trying to, to jump in that Mercedes car and there couldn't have been a better chance, same equipment, same car, same weekend to prove what I could do. So that was that overtake was probably the the, the most important overtake in my career. Well, George, it's been brilliant to have you on the show again. Thank you. Thanks so much. Just wanted to end it, just reflecting on where Formula One is at the minute, because Singapore gave us a glimpse of life without Max Verstappen and Red Bull at the front. How much does that excite you? <laughs> it ex excites me a lot because the potential is, is huge to have probably one of the most exciting and, and dramatic seasons ever um, but you can't take away from those who have done a better job and they, they're the best this year uh, he's been the best driver they've been by far the best team and they're deserving of, of all that they've achieved this year but as drivers uh, we want to go head to head and prove who can do what but you know, Formula 1's in such a great place um, there's a really exciting future Stefano and, and the team are doing an immense job and um, I can only see it going from strength to strength in, in the years to come. Is it all pointing towards 2024 being the year? There's, there'll be many years to come. There'll be many years to come. So 24, we're going for it. But I've got, uh, I reckon I've got a good 15 years left in me. All right, George, thanks Thank so you. much. Good Cheers. luck with everything. Thank you. Another 15 years at least, George. I wonder how many more races you can win in that time. But wasn't it great to hear from George Russell? That crash in Singapore must have been an incredibly difficult moment for him. Yet he explained to us so eloquently how he dealt with it, how he moved on. It was very impressive. And now he's about to celebrate 100 races in Formula One. How time flies. Enjoy reaching that milestone, George. And I wish you every success in the future. And thanks for your time the other day when we recorded this podcast.
Now, I hope you at home enjoyed that chat. Let me know your thoughts via all the usual means. I'm at Tom Clarkson F1 on Twitter, or you can use the hashtag F1 Beyond the Grid, and I'll read out some of your messages at the end of next week's show. Which, of course, brings me on to what you sent in about Adrian Newey after last week. I loved speaking to the design legend that is Adrian. And judging by your feedback, you enjoyed hearing from him. Here are just some of the messages you sent in. Starting with Jilly GT. What an insightful episode. Absolutely superb. So great to hear Adrian's story and his processes. Thank you. Well, thanks for the note. Thank you, Jilly. And what about this from Douglas Mayer? Tom, how lucky are we to have a living legend in Formula One still working in the sport? This interview was everything. It was chocked full of the history of Adrian's amazing career, technical content, nostalgia, driver relationships, behind-the-scenes insight, and human emotion. Bravo. Well, thank you, Douglas. That is a very lovely note. And here's Telstar. Fascinating and very enjoyable insights. I do wonder if what neurodiversities Adrian has as he appears to view, understand, and communicate some aspects of the world different to others. The Friction Story is a good example and potentially a sliding doors moment in his life. Very good points. Well made. Thanks for getting in touch, Telstar. And here's Jaya Lingman. Adrian is such a humble guy and such an inspiration. To be who you want to be and do what you love, no matter what other people like teachers think you should do. Thanks, Jaya. I completely agree, by the way. And finally, let's hear from ex-F1 driver Luciano Berti. This one was one of the best of your podcast, Tom. Cheers. Well, it's great to hear from you, Luciano. Thanks for getting in touch. I hope you're well, by the way. It's been a long time. Now, we had so much feedback about this episode, and I could continue reading your messages all day. But you catch the general feeling. There's a lot of love out there for Adrian Newey, and it was fantastic to have him on the pod. And please remember to send in your thoughts and stories about George Russell in time for next week's show, because, of course, it's been great to have George as well. And we'll leave it there for this week. Thanks for listening, and please do check out F1 Nation's preview to the Qatar Grand Prix with me, Natalie Pinkham, and Pedro de la Rosa. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, I'll be back next week with another great guest from the world of Formula One. But for now, F1 Beyond the Grid is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios. Until next time, keep it flat out.